be in Romans chapter 3 tonight. I'm glad Brother David's finished that song. I didn't know. I was just recently certified with some of you in first aid and CPR. I didn't want to have to use it, but uh, I'm glad, glad I didn't. But uh, Romans chapter 3 tonight. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and stand together. It's been a few weeks since we've been here in the book of Romans. We just finished uh, chapter 2, and we looked at a lot of uh, hypocrisy uh, and, and people that thought that they were above being judged, they were above the judgment of God, the condemnation, and we understand all men are sinners. We have a righteous God who is not a respecter of persons and judges sin as sin. And understanding that, uh, we need to all come to a place, point in place in our life where we recognize we are not enough without Him. And because of our sin, we deserve hell, and we're working our way here into Romans chapter 3, really continuing much of what we uh, have, have been looking at, but these are some questions that come up because of these truths that we've already been studying and looking at. So begin here in Romans chapter 3, <clears throat> and we're going to read the first eight verses. It says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So we look here at these objections or questions that were brought by uh, many religious, and in particular the Jews here as this was being delivered, and we find biblical answers to logical but unbiblical thinking biblical answers to logical yet unbiblical thinking let's pray together lord we love you god we thank you for who you are god what you've done for us and the privilege that it is to be in church tonight and god i pray that uh, there's no one here that takes that for granted god i'm so thankful to have your word in my possession and god the 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 truth and the the fact that we can look at this as your inspired uh, words given to all of mankind for us to be helped by and and strengthened by in our faith. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we're looking here in the book of Romans. Uh, Lord, some difficult uh, things to study and, and some deep things that we've been looking at the last several weeks of this series. But God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith and our relationship with you through it. Lord, bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. From the time a human being can form words from our earliest days... It's a common thing for us to use the mouth that God has given us to try to get out of trouble. I can think of many times with my kids and something that they did and I may get onto them and I quickly hear some of the uh, craziest excuses or reasoning for decisions uh, that have been made. And, and as we get to our adult life, sadly, many of us, we continue to, in our flesh, do those very same things and speeding tickets and getting pulled over is, is especially no exception to that. I saw a couple uh, stories, some articles that were written. One man by the name of Julius Lupowitz, he was stopped by a police officer in, in Melbourne, Florida for driving over the speed limit. The officer pulled him over, he came to the window, and as soon as the officer walked away from the window 
and began to go back to the car, Lupowitz, a 52-year-old man, dialed 911. And this, this is what was script, this is what was recorded that he said. He said, there's definitely someone going to get shot. Please, please, Wingate in Hollywood, please, a man says on 911, this was released by officials. He says, there's a man with a gun. I see him looking at me, but I don't think he sees I'm on my cell phone. I'm so scared I might get killed, please. He begged for the police to come and rescue him from what he knew of as a policeman, but they might not have known. Police officers were sent to the scene, and the officer who originally pulled him over stayed in the car, and 911 dispatchers had tracked down the name of the caller and announced it over the police radio, and it alerted the officer that was standing right next to Lupowitz. So instead of a $200 traffic ticket, he faced a felony charge and five years of prison for that, for that uh, tactic he tried. There's another one, Miss Kimberly Dew. Uh, she had many different speeding tickets there in the state of Iowa. And with her speeding tickets and the warrants that were noted out for her name, she, hatched a, she devised a plan and decided to convince the court of her city that she had died. She faked an obituary, signed with her mother's name, and it worked for about a month. They were not after her until, you guess it, she was pulled over again for speeding (laughs) and arrested. Many creative attempts are made daily. And as we look at our life and as we look at the decisions that we make for God, we understand that God created us, God knows us, God gave us a free nature, He knows our mind and He knows that the way that he created us, we will as humans come up with all kinds of arguments, all kinds of objections, all kinds of excuses, all kinds of different reasoning to come up with why we can do something that is contrary to the word of God. And his goal was to see every soul recognize their need for him. As Paul was writing this, he wanted them to know they are sinners. We've seen in these first two chapters that there's, there's no escaping this. We will be judged by God. We are guilty for our sin. And, and, and Paul's goal in writing this was for people to recognize their need for him. And, and, and this morning he referenced a little bit, many people may talk themselves out of getting saved or out of giving their life to Jesus or out of believing uh, what the word of God says. And as we finished up chapter 2, Paul told the Jews that they, like all other men, are sinners in the sight of God. He pointed what they needed and what we need tonight is not an outward expression of religion, but an inward work of grace. That's what every soul needs. And as we continue to get into chapter 3, this is a continuation of that thought with some direct objections being answered. And as we look at Paul, he was traveling as a missionary. And as Paul would travel and he would do the work of a missionary, every chance he got on the Sabbath, he would go to a synagogue and he would share the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he would go as a former Jew and a scholar, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he would go and he would, in his way, be able to communicate these things while using, no doubt, Old Testament scriptures to do so. I would have loved to have been in one of those synagogues as Paul went in and he did just that. Could you imagine these devout Jews hearing Paul preach about the Messiah and spread the gospel? And being the intellectuals they were, there would have been many arguments to the message that Paul preached. And I believe that from those arguments he had, God inspired him to write down some of those things. There's four different questions here in this text. And Paul wrote these things and he answered those questions. And this is not just answers and application for the Jew tonight. It's for all of us. It's for the saved. It's for the unsaved. Because many of these same thoughts or many of these same mindsets have been adopted by unsaved and saved people Alike, And the first thing that we look at as we begin this chapter is 
Does religion matter? So if I'm a sinner, and if I'm going to hell because of my sin without Jesus, does any religion in my life beyond that or before that matter? In the last chapter, Paul told them at the end of chapter 2 that being circumcised, knowing the law, teaching others about the law cannot save the soul. They thought they were better than everybody. They thought they had earned it. They thought they were at a higher level than other people. And Paul told them, none of those things can save you. None of those things will bring salvation. So if that is the case, if what these things you are telling me is true, what is the point in me being religious? They wanted to know if, if, if... those things do not matter. Why do I have to go through all of these things, through the, through the holy living and, and separation and, and, and going to, to church? Why do I have to do those things if works do me no good? They felt because they were Jewish, they had a special relationship with God. And I want to tell you tonight, the Jews are God's chosen people. God said he will bless them that bless them, curse them that curse them. But even though they were special to God, even though they still are special to God, and even though God still has a plan for them, it doesn't change the fact that all of God's creation, every human to walk the face of this earth, is guilty before God in their sin. But this question that they asked him was a logical one. If it's not doing anything for me, what is the point? In religion. You know, considering the fact that good works can't save us, that church attendance doesn't take a person to heaven, that clean living doesn't guarantee you a home in heaven, then what is the point in going to church? What's the point in being a Baptist? What's the point in being a member of a church? Why even attend? Why bother being a religious person if being religious does me no good in eternity? Have you ever heard those questions? That's, that's logic that many people may use that do not attend church or are trying to stop attending church. And Paul heard the question and he told them there is still much value in living right. There is still much value, he told them, in being a Jew. And, and Paul was a Jew. If we look there in verse 2, he says, much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. There's still value in, be, in being that. He was a Jew and he made sure to tell them they were blessed in every way, but possibly the greatest evidence of blessing from God that they had was that God had given them his oracles, his word, his law. And when God gave the word, the word every single book that we have, he gave it through the Jewish pen. You know, some may argue that the book of Luke and Acts were written by Luke and he was not a Jew. There's a big debate there, but what we know is every book, especially besides those two, and, and most likely I believe uh, he was a Jew as well. They were given through the Jewish pen. But as we look here, God had blessed them in that he gave him his word. He'd he'd given the Jewish people the revelation of himself. He'd given the Jewish people uh, what his will was for them and what they needed to know. Even though they had a special relationship with God, it placed them in a greater position of responsibility. Because they had the truth. They had what God wanted them to have, and they were responsible before God to live the truth and to obey what it said. I want you to imagine tonight that we all were together deep in the forest. We just went to camp with the kids in Colorado, and it was awful dark there when they cut off the power every night. You can imagine all of us being in the woods on a hike having to head to a certain destination. 
I have one of those big flashlights, one of those million lumen flashlights, and all of you have one of those little pin lights. Just You can barely get any light on your hand from what you had. So my job as the, the leader of the hike would be to uh, help lead you through the forest with the big light that I have and shine on the path that we may have, the roots that we may step on, the rocks in the way, the, the uh, cliff. It's good for us to know what, where those are at. But instead of me using that light to put it on the path and to show you the way, instead I'm using it to put a spotlight on me. I want everybody to see what I'm doing and how great of a hiker I may be. And if I take it off of myself, maybe I shine it on some of you and you fall and you're on the ground over there just so everybody can get a good laugh. Maybe I'll shine it on somebody when they're headed the wrong way. Look at that person. They're not going anywhere close to where we're supposed to be going. Maybe I would shine it on uh, someone so everybody could see the type of shoes they have. Maybe it isn't the right hiking boot that's, that somebody's supposed to have for a hike. Or maybe we're gonna, I'm going to highlight the type of water that you're drinking. And with the light, I haven't done anything to point out the path or to protect or to lead. But what I did was just illuminate mistakes or failures of people around or just show how difficult it is for you and how easy it might be for me with the light. That is exactly what the Jews were guilty of before God. They had everything that God wanted them to have, but they argued about such things, whether or not it was against the law to spit on the Sabbath. If you spit on a rock, it's okay. If you spit on the dirt, it's not, because that might make mud, and that is breaking one of the rules of the Sabbath. Instead of using the word of God to lead men out of darkness, they used it as a means of sending men and women deeper into the darkness. See what was going on there? I want to tell you tonight, the more exposure that we have to the truth, the more responsible we are before our God. We've all been given a very bright light. We're sitting at church tonight with the word of God in our possession. And with that, with the Bible in our possession, we are to do everything we can to lead others to the light. And if we don't do that, we will be held accountable. So the question is, and I know this, this first question, how are we using the light that God has blessed each and every one of us with? Are we guilty of doing the same foolish thing the Jews did, or are we using it to lead others on the right path, to the right way, the only way? So does religion matter? Yeah. Second thing, do my individual actions matter? Look at verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Speaking of the Jews, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Shall what they believe and their decision to not believe, does that hurt me or bring God's cursings upon me? Then he says, God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So do my individual actions matter? The question was, has God forsaken us? Because of the unbelief of others. They're basically saying that they have failed to live up to their end of the covenant. And since that is true, some Jews have failed. Does that mean that God has written off the entire Jewish nation? We can look at this question and and write it another way. Has the failure of some ruined it for all? Has the God of all grace forsaken his people because they sinned, and if he has, then why should we bother to serve him any longer? That's the question. They are appealing to the greatness of, of God and his nature, and Paul answers and gives them hope in that. You know, it's who hasn't 
failed God at one point or another. Paul has told them all of us are sinners. Everyone is going to fail the Lord at one point or another in their life. And understanding that God in his grace does forgive us of those things. We'll cover that in just a little bit. But because we have failed God before, what is the point in, in serving him now? Or because someone that has, was a help to me or uh, someone that taught me as a young kid, someone that may have led me to the Lord, they have fallen away from God now. What does that mean for me? What we need to understand is God is faithful in spite of our sin. You know, Paul, and as that question was asked, his answer was, God forbid. He literally said, may it never be. That's what that means. Then he follows that statement, may it never be. That's not true. He said, let God be true in every man a liar. And Paul is telling them, in spite of what man does, God will honor his promise. If God has told us something, he will hold to it. So what somebody else did does not matter in your relationship with God or what somebody else did does not affect how God sees you. So regardless of how wicked a person may become, the Lord will not, will not throw them away. Or regardless of how, how, how wicked a, a society may come, the Lord will not shun those few that are trying to please God. All the sins and failures of Israel could not make God push them away. They were his people. I want you to think with me tonight about all the times that you have sinned against God since you've been saved. I think all of us would admit tonight we are wicked sinners. We have gone against what God has told us. We've had wrong thinking. We've had wrong actions. We've had wrong attitudes. We could could testify of many instances where we have failed our God. But God had a promise for his people and God has a promise for us tonight God is faithful in spite of our sin look back at David man after God's own heart the the king that God anointed for the children of Israel he was an adulterer a liar and a murderer and God forgave him and used him beyond that point about Rahab she was a a wretched sinner before the Lord but God forgave her and God used her to help his people. What about Peter? Well, Jesus even warned Peter. He said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as weed. And Peter says, no, not me. I'm not going to do that. I love you. It's not going to happen. And what happened? In public, he denied Christ three times. But what did God use him to do? Add thousands to the church. See, many saved, do, do, do many things for the Lord beyond that point. God forgave him and God used him in a great way. Don't, don't, I need, need it to be clear tonight. God will judge sin. He will. But after the sin is judged, God will forgive it, proving that he is bigger than your sin. Pro, the book of Proverbs chapter 28 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy we have a God that is all always ready to forgive and he waits for man to get to that same place of readiness there's there's many people tonight that think God will not forgive them there's no use in going to him God is there ready just as just as the father of the prodigal son was ready to receive you with open arms receive the sinner with open arms but that sinner as well must be ready to go to God must realize their need for repentance and, and for forgiveness from the Father. 
regardless of where life has taken us or our decisions have taken us or regardless of the sins that we have committed, there is forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. So two questions already. Does religion matter? Yes. Does my, do my individual actions matter? Yes. But not just our individual actions. The third question we find in, in, in verse 5 and here to the end of the text, does righteous living matter? Not just my individual actions, but does, my, does righteous living matter? Is there, is there a point in living right if, I've, if Jesus already paid for those sins? So Paul had recently revealed that God is glorified through forgiveness of sins. And, and, and there, I believe our God, I believe Jesus, the Bible says he is glorified through that. So some took that. Some took that truth and they came to a conclusion that because God is glorified in forgiving my sin, that I should glorify him much more by sinning more. So they they heard that doctrine and they decided to take it into what they wanted it to be and what they thought they could do. And they basically were wanting to know, does God condone my sin? Look at verse 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God righteous who taketh vengeance? The argument here is like this. Since God was glorified through the sin of David, in that David's sin gave the Lord a chance to demonstrate both his justice and his grace, it stands to reason that David was helping the Lord out when he sinned. Because God would have never gotten a chance to show his justice or grace if David hadn't sinned. So when a person sins... They are helping God out. That, that's, that's the thinking that was there. Then if we're helping God out, it is unfair for God to judge us or to reprove us when we sin because we, have give, because we have given him a chance to prove his justice and his grace. So to their logic, it made sense. To us, we hear it and we're thinking, what in the world? Why would you think that? But they didn't put into account that by that way of thinking, they accused God of using sin for his own advantage. They, accused, they would be accusing God of using our sin or the, the sins of people to bring something good about himself. That's not how God works. This is an idea and a way of thinking that is completely contrary to everything that God is and everything that he's given us in his word, but people still live like this. There's, there's Christians all over our society today that profess Jesus they say they love him, then they run off into sin. And when judgment comes, they run back to God. They ask for forgiveness. They want to get their relationship right with him. And they testify that God has forgiven them. And then they go back out again. It becomes a never-ending cycle. They think that God is getting glory in how many times he's forgiven them and restored his relationship, their relationship with him. But I want to tell you tonight, God is far more glorified when a person gets saved and then lives for Jesus until the end of their life. If you want to bring glory to God tonight, don't think that sinning more so you can be forgiven more and God can show his grace in your life more brings him glory. That, that doesn't bring him glory. What brings him glory is when we live for him, not for ourselves. That's God's plan for all of us. God will forgive us when we fall, but he has equipped us with everything we need to prevent us from falling. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his, the comforter. He's given us the one to lead us and direct us. You have God, if you are saved, God dwells within you. What an incredible truth that is. 
And because of that, we can look later on in the book of Romans in chapter 6, verse 14, and it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. We don't have to give in to sin. For you're not under the law, but under grace. So does God condone sin? No, he does not. God doesn't condone sin. God condemns all sin. We look there in verse 6. God forbid. Same, same phrase again. May it never be that that is the way that we are living and the choices that we are making. Because if God would wink at our sin, if, if God would desire for us to sin to bring glory upon himself, then he has no right to judge the world. We can't have both of those things. All sin, the Bible tells us, all sin will be judged by God. There is no one that is going to make it through eternity without having their sins judged by God. We understand tonight for the sinner, the Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death. There is a price on sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned, we'll be there in just a little bit, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what sin has done to all of mankind. We understand the rest of that, for those who have already put their faith in Jesus, our sins have been judged and we are saved from the wrath of God. Jesus was our substitute. But just because you have been living in sin and haven't been caught or judged yet, don't get too confident. Because God knows what is in our life. He knows our heart. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. So they said, you know, does God condone sin? Does, is my unrighteousness, does it commend the righteousness of God? Then they continued for this fourth question. They said there in verse 7, does my sin exalt God? First of all, they were thinking, does, does God condone my sin? Now, does my sin exalt him? Same, same thought, but a little more deep into the subject. Verse 7, for if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory... Why yet am I also judged as a sinner? There, there's more justification that they are trying to, to place on sin. Because God is glorified through the forgiveness of sin. So they said, if my sin exalts God, then why does God judge me? If, forgi if God forgiving me brings glory to him, then why not sin a bunch so that God can get a lot of glory? This is a doctrine that is in different circles known as antinomianism. It holds the idea that, what we can, that we can do as we please because we are saved by grace. And since God has saved me, I can go do, do whatever I want, and I will still go to heaven bringing all kinds of glory to God because he has forgiven me and cleansed me from all those things I'd ever done. In antinomianism, it says that morality and lifestyle do not matter since we are saved by faith. But I want to remind us tonight, something we already know, nothing can be farther from the truth on that subject. You know, there, there's people that hold to this doctrine and they will be saved, be saved, they put their faith and trust in Jesus, and then they go sow their wild oats, and they, they live a life of sin, then they come back for forgiveness, and they testify. It was the best thing that could have ever happened because it brought them closer to the Lord. We've already referenced this a little bit. Would it have not been better for that person to not commit any of those sins to begin with? 
Would it have not been better for that person to just walk faithfully in obedience to God? We've already mentioned this. Someone may say that God forgiving them for many things brings him glory, but it is not, but God is more glorified by the life that proves the power of God is enough to keep a person out of sin. So God, here's the, here's the truth we get from this. God is exalted by the forgiveness of sin, but God is never exalted by sin itself. And another thing we need to re- realize tonight is that sin doesn't just affect you. Sin does not just affect the person that sins. Sin often and, and most often affects those around the sinner. They can do irreparable harm to the lives of all around that individual. Yeah, God was glorified when he forgave of the sin, but that the other sinner who saw what the one was doing and followed that example and maybe never got saved because they didn't see a point in it. God didn't get any glory from that. Or us choosing to do something that we want to do or living a lifestyle of sin or, or living contrary to the word of God or the children that may watch and they may see that example in front of them. and God doesn't get any glory in that. God will not exempt any sinner. Look, look at verse 8. And not rather, as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. Sin cannot glorify the Lord. We have a God that is holy, and God must judge sin. And since that is true, the sinner can rest assured that if he lives his life without a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, he will die and go to hell. That's the first thing. And then for the saved person, for the Christian that is living a life of sin, you can rest assured that a life lived half in and half out of the will of God will result in a life filled with consequences from those choices. All sinners will be held accountable. So, Paul finishes off this chapter. He looked in, in the first part of chapter 2, speaking of a, a moral man and, and some hypocrisy mixed in there. And then he, speak, he spoke of the Jew at the end of chapter 2. And now he's answering the arguments that all of those people may have brought to him. We have a great advantage. We have the scriptures. God's promises that he's given us are valid. God's character and God's purity is intact. The function of God's judgment and the evil sin of man reveals all of, the, all of those truths and all of those things. So we look here at these first eight verses. What we see tonight is when a man is revealed to be a sinner, he can come up with some pr- pretty creative ways to try and justify his sin. But tonight what we need to do as Christians is make sure we are living in a way and make sure we understand what God has given us enough to not ever try to justify our sin, but to do exactly what God told us to do in the choices that we make because we have the light. So what do we do if, if we are in sin? What do we encourage those who are living in sin to do? Confess them. First John chapter 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is not for the unsaved, that is for the saved. 
If you're living in sin or if you know someone that has fallen from God and that is living in sin, encourage them to confess those things. Keep short accounts with God. The, the word confess that we find there in 1 John chapter 1 means to say the same thing about something. So that, that word there that God has given us, we, God says that my sins are filthy. God, God says that lying is a sin. God tells us that adultery is a sin. God tells us that giving in to, 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 certain, to lust is a sin. Living contrary to the word of God is sin. My sins hurt me and they hurt others. So if we are to confess our sins, we not only recognize it, but he wants me, he wants you to say the same thing about the sin that we've committed that he says about that sin. To look at that sin the exact same way that he looks at that sin and he wants us to come clean and when we do, he's promised us he will forgive us. So as we look here in Romans chapter 3, what, what we can get from these eight verses is do not play games with the Bible. As we handle the word of God, as we look at it, as we study it, as we strive to live by it, be careful in how we handle it. Let's not try to make it mean what we want it to mean. Let's not try to uh, twist a couple verses to justify what we are doing. Seek God, seek wisdom from him, study and do what it says. And in due time, we will reap the blessings of God and we can lead others with the light we've been given. There's a preacher by the name of J.A. Alexander. He, he wrote this poem. He said, there is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. To pass that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth. It does not quench the beaming eye, nor pale the glow of health. The conscience may still be at ease, the spirit light and gay, that which is pleasing still may please and care be thrust away. Oh, where is this mysterious born by which our path is crossed, beyond which God himself has sworn that he who goes is lost? How far may we go on in sin? How long will God forbear? Where does hope end and where begin the confines of despair? An answer from the skies is sent, ye that from God depart. While it is called today, repent and harden not your heart. We have the truth. Don't reject it. We have God's word in our possession. And these, these Jews wondered, is what I've been given important? Does it matter? It does. We are blessed. To be in church tonight and to have his word in our possession, we are blessed. But with that blessing of his word comes a great responsibility. And instead of putting ourselves or justifying sin in the lives of other people to put us or others in a position to face the wrath of God by wrongly justifying that sin, let's instead put ourselves in a position for God's favor and blessings by following the light and leading others to it. That's what we get from these first eight verses. Biblical answers for unbiblical thinking. Every head bowed, every eye closed.